Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. With so much nutrition misinformation out there, it can be challenging to navigate the best way to nourish your body. To help bring you more clarity, our guest today is the amazing registered dietitian, Carrie Glassman. Carrie is an acclaimed celebrity nutritionist, registered dietitian, healthy cooking expert, and founder and president of Nutritious Life and the Nutritious Life Studio. Carrie is also the author of several great books, including The O2 Diet, The Snack Factor Diet, and The New You and Improved Diet. Her expertise has gotten her featured on The Today Show, Good Morning America, The Rachel Ray Show, The View, Women's Health Magazine, and many more impressive platforms. Carrie is extremely passionate about helping people reach their nutritious goals so that they can live healthy and fulfilled lives. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth Podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hi, Carrie Glassman. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It is awesome to be here with you. So nice to see you both. Likewise, likewise. And we're both huge fans of your work. We've read countless books of yours and have been following your work for many years. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your story, what led you to pursuing a career in nutrition, and what ultimately led you to creating Nutritious Life as well as the Nutritious Life Studio. Well, thank you, first of all. That's so nice of you to say. And okay, so I always struggle with this question because I'm like, how far back do I go? Do I give the short answer, the long answer, the long, long answer? (laughs) So I'll try to give you the whole story, but condensed. So I always say, you know, that I really do feel like I was born to do this. I mean, I remember thinking about, I was a gymnast growing up and I remember thinking about food and how it affected the body from a really early age and not from a, maybe a, typical diet perspective, but more from just a, what does it do for your body perspective? So I always remember being interested in that. And I was also really interested in, I just liked food. I was an eater. I enjoyed, you know, what was my, like, I don't think there was one thing my mom ever served that I didn't eat. I was like the opposite (laughs) of a picky eater. I was like, that's good. That's good. So, but I'm saying healthy foods, unhealthy foods. I liked it all. And I, by the way, I still kind of like it all. (laughs) I just think my body, I've trained my body so well to just like, I don't enjoy eating unhealthy because it doesn't make me feel good, but like, I really like it all. Anyway, so that's way, way back. And then I would say fast forward to college. I played two sports in college. So I was really um, clearly athletic, but still had this, you know, continued interest in how food fueled the body. And I remember the summer before college, going into my first year, I dieted really hardcore for the first time ever. I took a diet book off the shelf of my mom, from my mom, actually. And I lost like all this weight because I had, and I didn't really even have much weight to lose. And I had never dieted before. So my body just like reacted and I lost all this weight. I was probably too thin at the time. But then I went to college, I was playing sports and then gained, as many women do, gain a lot of weight that first semester, but especially having just lost it, it was like a disaster. I gained so much weight my freshman year. And then that started this big like yo-yo dieting, emotional eating thing. So, which then also led to though, I was still an athlete. And so I couldn't, I would say like, I couldn't do the diet Coke 
you know, not eating thing that mm-hmm. many of my friends did. And then, you know, like that didn't work for me. So I always had this like conflict of, I want to fuel my body to perform, but I want to wear my skinny jeans on Saturday night. And this doesn't make sense that like it should be being healthy should mean wearing your skinny jeans. But why do I feel like that's not what's working? And anyway, so really, I just, I think that's when the initial sort of interest in how do you fuel your body to be thin and fit and healthy. It was never just about being skinny. It was this combination of like really feeling strong and fit because again, I played sports. And at the same time, I always noticed also how I, when I was studying, let's say, if I had slept well, I was more motivated to bring a healthy lunch with me to you know, the library to study. And when I brought that bag of candy with me to study, those were like the fat-free days. You know, we'd bring like fat-free candy. It doesn't matter. Eat as much as you want. When I would bring that candy, I'd feel like crap and be unmotivated to study and then be unmotivated to go to the gym. So that's when I would say the beginning of a nutritious life really began as far as all the pillars go, because I didn't know about it from a scientific level, but from a personal level, I just understood how my body just felt so much better when I drank water and when I slept and I was just more motivated. And it was, there was this like, I don't know, just understanding and enjoyment of living healthy, like the right way, but understanding how you can so easily be thrown off and how much one thing can sort of affect the other. So fast forward again, I started working at Sports Illustrated after I graduated college. And when I was there, I was obsessed with reading. We'd get all the magazines for free at the time. And so when I'd get Health Magazine each month, while I was sitting at my desk, I would sit there and read through the whole thing versus doing my job. So that ultimately led me to go back to school. I took Nutrition One or whatever it was called at NYU. um, Because at this point I was now, I was at Tufts undergrad, but I was now at NYU and sorry, I was now in New York. So I went to NYU. I stayed in New York. I guess that's what, that's getting to my master's and then going forward from there into my practice. I mean, in my business, that's a whole other thing, but that was really ultimately what led me to going and getting my degree in nutrition. And so I guess it was again, a love of food, um, wanting to feel fit and healthy And then also like having this kind of like understanding and desire to know more about how all of these different factors and pillars of what I'd now call a nutritious life work together. It was a long answer. Sorry. I can't make that one shorter. (laughs) I love the full story and the full answers. And I really commend you for using something that you personally struggled with or experienced and propel that into a career to help others, which I really commend. So thank you for sharing your story. But what are some of the biggest challenges that you think our nutrition industry currently faces as a society? I would say one of them is misinformation, overload of information and misinformation. There's so much information constantly being thrown at us and so much of it is bad really like just wrong. Um, So I would say that is one thing. Actually, I'm teaching a course right now at NYU to their dietetic students, to the master students. And it's about nutrition in the media and how, you know, going from research that actual research that is done and then how it like watching the evolution of that into then, or the evolve, yeah, the involvement of that into then actually being in the media. How does that evolve? What is that, what is that, you know, like game of telephone that happens between the research and then an article that a consumer may read. And it's really fascinating to see that whole process and how it works. But anyway, we know that we know that there's so much information out there. Some of it is really good, but some of it's really bad. And so I think the combination of a lot of information and a lot of it not being great can be very, very, very confusing to people in conjunction with the fact that nutrition is still a young science. So there is so much new information coming out 
And it doesn't always mean it's contradictory just because it's different. It just could be a better new study. It could be an evolution. It could be, I mean, there's so many different reasons that we might have new information and maybe something that was never studied before, right? So I think that is a big issue. And then I would say another big issue is sugar. I mean, there's clearly so many different, you know, obesogens and foods, but one specific, and so there's lots of different things we could point to, but I would say the one most common ingredient in packaged processed foods that we see that probably is having a massive effect on people is sugar because it's hidden in so many places and places people don't even realize they're having it. And so I would say sugar is another big thing. There's so many, and then I would just say packaged processed foods in general, laden with all kinds of, you know, like I just said, obesogens and chemicals and people not eating as much whole real foods. So sugar, packaged processed foods probably, and then overload of info. I totally agree with you on all those. And sugar obviously is a huge, huge issue in our society. And we're all about trying to limit added sugar in our diets. Now, back to misinformation and so much information out there, because we do see that as a huge issue. And with that also comes a lot of fad diets that not only come out, but also gain traction really quickly. And they become super popular due to social media and due to just you know how big they become so quickly. So for somebody out there who wants to, let's say, improve their nutrition and they feel that pull to just you know go with the crowd and try something yeah. so extreme, what's your advice? Because I know that you have a more lifestyle-based approach, which we both really like. So what I usually tell people when it comes to fad diets, first of all, is that not just because it's a fad diet, there might be a component of it that may work for you. So it might be, but for the most part, fad diets are not great. But what I tell people is that when you look at all diets, whether it's vegan or paleo, two very different lifestyles, right? All diets, no matter how different they are, if they are good, if they are a good diet or a good lifestyle that you should be following, they're going to follow many of the same principles. Again, even from vegan to paleo. And we have um, something on our site, an article, a column called Diets Decoded, where we go through this. And we say, as I'm saying here, that, for example, let's just take vegan and paleo. No sugar, as little packaged processed foods as possible, healthy, high quality fat, high quality protein, whether it's plant or animal. So many of the principles of all these different types of lifestyles are going to be the same, even if they are, again, as different as a vegan and paleo. So if you're doing a fad diet, that doesn't incorporate many of these basic healthy principles, then it probably is a fad diet that's either too extreme or that it won't work in the long haul or unhealthy for you. So you want to look at something and see, you know, does it follow these basic principles? Do I have to eat potions and packages of something in order to do this? Do I have to cut out whatever? Am I only allowed to eat four types of vegetables or, you know what I mean? So you have to like be, look at it like that. So I guess I would say to somebody where to begin is the most important place to begin is looking at a few things. One, cutting out as much packaged processed food as possible. I mean, of course I have packaged processed foods in my house. Everybody has something packaged and processed pretty much, but cutting out as much as possible, taking out as much sugar as possible, focusing on eating as many whole real foods of vegetables, healthy, high quality fats, healthy, high quality lean protein, like I just mentioned, and then learning to listen to your body. Eat when you're slightly hungry, stop eating when you're slightly satisfied. And if you're focusing on eating whole real foods and listening to your body, just those two things alone, 
you're going to do really well and be really healthy. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to have an overindulgent meal. And that's not to say that you're not going to eat something totally junky. And some people do need more structure than just those two things. But as a starting place, those two things can get you very far. The listening to your body can be more complicated than eating all whole real foods because it's not as black and white. And it's a little bit, you know, it's something you really do have to retrain your body to do. But if you do the work there and you learn to listen to your body and you're able to focus on whole real foods, those are like the two places to start. And I think that's a great way to start too. And now I know you spoke a little bit about intuitive eating and listening to your body. I think intuitive eating has been getting a lot of traction and I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. And if someone is, they've been in a diet cycle for way too long and they want to start approaching intuitive eating, what's the best way that you can sort of start? I like people to, I'm trying to think like the best place to start for people there. Because I think so many people, if you've been a real chronic dieter, you don't even know like, You're so not in tune with your body and what's hunger. You're just like so ready to, oh, I'm supposed to eat now. Or no, I'm not supposed to eat now. Oh, wait, but that actually makes me want to eat more. So I'm really hungry. But wait, is that really hungry? Or am I just hungry because I'm really depriving myself? So I think you have to kind of go back to really the basics of just learning like your hunger cues again and learning what makes your body feel well. So what I would say is like you start with like I have people track, you know, how hungry are they at the beginning of a meal and towards the end at the end of the meal and then become aware of like, well, what were you thinking about during the meal? And did you pause? And did you take the time to think, am I still hungry? Do I need some, you know, do I actually, is this real hunger or is this just appetite and learning the difference there? And, you know, so it's really kind of going back to a little bit, just like kind of back to the basics and slowing down. But that can be difficult for people that are used to this, you know, kind of chronic diet lifestyle. So just even being able to embrace that can be really difficult. And it's the type of thing where I sometimes, you know, I would tell somebody like this to say, like, just put away the scale for a couple of weeks, get away from like whatever diet mentality you've been, whatever you've been doing, we're just, we're going to do this for like two weeks of just, or even a week of just focusing on how do you feel at the beginning and end of a meal and then go from there. But that would be the first place I would start with someone. Yeah. That sounds like a great place to start. Now, where does intermittent fasting, can that fit into an intuitive eating approach? That's a good question. I mean, it's so intermittent fasting, I say, you know, has some benefits for some people. So There is science behind intermittent fasting as far as it does work. Many people do lose weight. There are some health benefits to it. However, for the most part, for most people, I would not tell them to do it because I think that for many people, it can trigger unhealthy habits and yo-yo dieting. So that is a perfect example of a fad diet that I would say, for some people, I might recommend it, but for many people... Absolutely not. So for an example, if you're the type of person that wakes up and you love breakfast and you, you know, you're an early riser, I'm an early riser, for example, like I could never do intermittent fasting because I get up so early. Like I have, you know, three hours in my day before my kids wake up pretty much. Like I'm like, I get a lot done by then. Like there's no way I could go until noon without food. But I'm saying if you're that type of person and you enjoy breakfast or you're an early riser and you need breakfast and you're now holding out, let's say till noon to eat, 
And let's say you used to have like a fairly healthy breakfast and then a fairly healthy salad. Maybe you'd have a couple like chips with your salad, but you have a kale salad. Maybe you'd have a little pick of something in the afternoon, but you had a generally healthy diet, maybe oatmeal or, you know, toast with peanut butter for breakfast and then a kale salad. And all of a sudden you're now holding out to lunch and you're now going for like leftovers uh, pizza or something because you're starving and you're thinking to yourself, well, I did my 16 or 18 hours, so now I can eat what I want. All of a sudden you take someone who had a pretty healthy diet that just needed to take it up a notch and maybe like tweak it slightly. And now they're in this unhealthy lifestyle of they're eating less healthy foods. They're overindulging when they finally do eat because they were famished. So that's a terrible idea for someone like that. So as far as, sorry, bringing it back to your question with intuitive eating, for someone like that, I would say terrible idea. And that's probably completely throw off your intuitive eating and your ability to be mindful and your ability to listen to your body. However, if you're a person that has no hunger in the morning and that's just the way you naturally are and you and you eat at normal time, you don't eat late, late at night, maybe food makes you kind of nauseous in the morning. Some people are like that. They just don't feel great. Maybe having your first meal at 11 is great for you and you feel better and you're actually more focused on having a great healthy meal at 11. So it would really depend on the person. Definitely. I totally agree with you. I think that for some people it works great. For others, it could bring up some other challenges. Now, I know that you're a fan of cleanses, but not like the traditional liquid cleanses, more so of just having a specific amount of time where you eat certain foods. So I'd like to know a little bit more about your approach on cleanses and fasting in general. Well, I'm not a fan of fasting. I don't think it's necessary. I just do not think it's necessary. And I think that the any types of benefits that you may get from it are usually outweighed by the negatives. So I think it's just absolutely unnecessary to do that. I don't think our bodies were meant to fast. So that's my, I mean, that could be a whole podcast on its own, but let's just say no fasting. So as far as cleanses go, I think that there's a time and a place to give your body a little bit of a jump start to reset yourself. Maybe you've been on vacation and you've been traveling and having lots of salt and maybe packaged foods as well. And maybe you've drank too much and your body's just like out of whack and you really want to like, you know, just kind of like reset yourself or you are jumping into a new type of lifestyle. Maybe you are doing some sort of new healthy plan. It doesn't even have to have a name. That's the other thing. You can start a lifestyle and have a new healthy plan and it doesn't have to be keto or intermittent fasting or this. You don't have to have a label, but you just might want to give yourself a jump start. So what I always think is that you don't have to do something like a juice cleanse, let's say, or some even something crazier like the master cleanse or something to feel like you've given yourself a little bit of a cleanse and a jump start. Oftentimes those I think just set you up to then have massive cravings and then overconsume after. Or even if you just go back to normal eating, usually you gain weight right back. But if you use a cleanse as what I always say, a framework for what your diet will be in the future then that's a great way to utilize it to not just help you possibly lose a couple pounds and give yourself you know, a little bit of a kick, a boost of healthy nutrients. You can not only use it for that, but it can also, again, lay the framework for your future eating. But if you do a cleanse that is completely different than what you're going to do you know, three days or five days after you're doing the cleanse, and there's no point to it. So what I always say is how you eat after the cleanse, whether it's three days, five days, or seven days, it should be built onto what you were just doing for those days. So for example, if you're cleansing with whole real foods, maybe you're having no fruit, maybe you're having no whole grains, maybe you're having absolutely no packaged foods, no sugar, no alcohol, but you're having loads of vegetables, a little bit of healthy fat at every meal, and some high quality organic protein, whether it's animal or plant, if you're doing that, so you're being really extreme as far as just these vegetables and you're cooking at home and you're having very portioned amounts of healthy fat, like 
that could still be the framework for then going forward. You then still go forward with eating lots of vegetables, healthy fats, high quality protein. You might just add in some greens and some fruit and maybe, you know, an indulgent sweet here or there and maybe a glass of wine. So you're really just building on this framework. And if that is your cleanse, then I'm a big believer in that. And you can also utilize some of these foods that are loaded in nutrients to help even cleanse your body. Foods that are high in fiber, foods that are loaded with antioxidants. I like that you mentioned that because I think when a lot of people embark on a new diet or trying to change, I don't want to say lifestyle, but particularly when they start to follow a diet, it's for in a limited amount of time. And then oftentimes they'll go back to, they're like, oh, well, you know, I can have that slice of pizza in a month when my diet is over. And the lifestyle changes aren't necessarily happening, which kind of like we spoke about earlier goes through that diet and that binge cycle over and over again. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And I think what you do a really great job of at Nutritious Life is you break it down into eight pillars. So I'd love for you to speak about the pillars and why they're so vital to our overall wellness and our overall health. Yeah. So I guess going back to sort of what I was saying about my inner journey when I was in college and about how all these things work together. So when I then went and got my master's in nutrition, I remember I started learning more about how all these different pillars work together. I didn't even call them, you know, these pillars at the time, but I learned a little bit about how your stress affected sleep and how sleep affected your hunger levels the next day. And I remember diving deep into that because I always think from a physiological standpoint, these pillars affect each other, but also from a behavioral standpoint. So I'm just kind of obsessed with how all these things work together. And that's really what I've built my whole practice on. I mean, it's funny. I started my practice almost, I guess it was 18 years ago I started. Yeah, it actually was. It was a solid 18 years ago. Almost, I started my actual, yeah, my first office was 18 years ago because my son just turned 17 and it was, um, yeah, right before I got pregnant with him. So anyway, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel so old. <laughs> I feel so old right now. Yeah, oh you look God. amazing and that's a huge accomplishment. 18 years. That's a long time. Oh my God. I feel so old. So yeah, I know. I'm like, my business is about to graduate from high school next year. <laughs> so, or actually I guess this year, because my, my baby's got one more year. So my business would be graduating from high school right now. Anyway, so, um, it's all, all in terms of, you know, school years. That's how I calculate everything. It's all in terms of exactly. school years. But when I started my practice, it's funny at the time, I mean, most dietitians, it was like diet and exercise, diet and exercise, calories in, calories out. And I, the logo for my business actually had a little like picture of a brain with a little arrow to a drop of water, with a little arrow to a bed, with a little arrow to an apple and so on and so on. With It was supposed to symbolize how all of these things work together. And when clients would come in, I would ask them about their sleep and their stress levels. And I remember some people would look at me like, why? Like, I just, just give me a, give me a diet. And I remember saying like, it's not going to work unless you're thinking about all of these other things. And so you have to like focus on how all of these things work together. So as far as, you know, the pillars, we could go through all of them, but it's, you know, eat empowered, stress less, sleep deep sweat often, we get into live consciously, love more. So it involves like relationships and it involves like your environment and it involves, and from your environment, that's like your personal space, like your desk space. Is it organized? Is it causing stress to, are the chemicals you're using to clean your home? Are they actually toxic? And do they have obesogens in them? So it's all like, that's just part of the live consciously pillar, right? But those things affect, let's just say your refrigerator is unorganized or your desk area is unorganized and maybe that causes stress and maybe your cortisol levels go up and that causes you to hold on to weight in your midsection and crave more unhealthy foods. So all of a sudden you're craving carbohydrates and that cookie in the afternoon. So you're eat less empowered and then you feel kind of, 
yuck about yourself. And so then you end up not being motivated to go to the gym, which then doesn't help you reduce your stress. So they all kind of go together from, again, a physiological and a behavioral standpoint. And of course, I was sort of exaggerating some of those examples there, but that does really happen like that, right? So yeah, that's what I've really built Nutritious Life on is really looking at all of these pillars and how they all work together. The other thing I think too, is like when you can look at all of these other things, you become less obsessed with what am I eating? Am I eating right? Because you're focused on, you know what? I'm drinking my water. I feel great. And I got my gym. I went to the gym and I did this meditation and you're not even, you feel good about yourself and you feel motivated and you are actually being healthier and you might even be seeing all kinds of results without being obsessed with the food. So it, you then naturally eat better, but it's without this focus on what did I just eat? What did I just eat? When am I eating again? It all works together really to help you just be healthier and, you know, meet your ultimate goals of feeling better about yourself. And, you know, again, that's what eating empowered is like wanting to put those good foods in your body, not forcing yourself to eat healthy foods. That's an awesome approach, especially because, you know, it's with a lot of, you know, different nutritionists or just nutrition approaches. It's just about the food. It's just about, let's say the calories or the macros or the nutrients. And they don't really focus on mindfulness and meditation and all these other facets that you really do talk about. So I'm glad that you have that approach because everything really is connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're learning more and more about that every day. Yeah, we really are. There's more research on all of that every day. I mean, the research now compared to when I started, there's so much more out there now on how stress affects the body and how sleep affects the body. And I mean, it's really, and especially, you know, your environment and toxins in the environment, there's so much more research. So it's really fascinating having been in this field for the past 20 years, like just to see how everything has evolved and how the research has grown. I mean, it's pretty awesome time to have been in this field. Definitely. And also even something as simple as hydration. So many people don't give enough focus to hydration and they might not realize that that sluggishness and that incredible hunger that they feel could also be a result of not hydrating enough. Absolutely. And that is something I was saying, see, I've got my nice 32 ounce water bottle right here. There we go. (laughs) At the beginning of quarantine, actually, my daughter and I decided we were like, we both need to work on our hydration because it's sometimes something I can slip on. And so we both, we ordered ourselves little new 32 ounce water bottles, which I always say is my favorite way to get in 64 ounces is just, you know, fill it twice and you know, you're good to go. But there's so many other amazing, well, you just brought up the point too, that very often people mistake hunger for thirst. You're really just thirsty. You know, you're not even hungry and your body doesn't metabolize, you know, doesn't do anything properly without being properly hydrated. You can feel tired, but you're actually just thirsty. You can feel hungry, but you're actually just thirsty. So, so important to stay properly hydrated. And then there's so many ways to add in you know, to even take your hydration, you know, up a notch by having certain teas and the different antioxidants found in teas are beneficial. So there's so many different ways to like, just take up your hydration level. And then even certain foods, many foods are high in water and the water volume that in and of itself is also beneficial to you. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Now, something else that I'm curious to get your take on is supplements, because that's another area where I feel there's a lot of confusion and a lot of people don't necessarily have the right approach to supplementation. So I'm curious what types of supplements you like to incorporate into your clients' regimens. Yeah. So I always say, you know, real food first, and you can meet most of your nutrient needs through real food. So I don't like people to, you know, okay, I'm just going to eat junk and not worry about getting in my vitamins and minerals, but then I'm going to take a multi. I don't like that attitude at all. I always would try to get people to pretend that like, if they're eating a really unhealthy diet, pretend supplements aren't even available to you. Like let's 
get your diet to the best possible place it can be, but then supplements, yes, can supplement the diet and can provide insurance. So I'm a believer in them, but it's always, you know, on top of like getting your diet to the best place it possibly can, not using them to replace a healthy diet. But with that said, many people don't get in certain nutrients that they should be getting in and getting enough of. And we also know that, you know, the soil that our vegetables are grown in isn't like what it used to be. And like, there's many different reasons we might need supplements. So the supplements, again, it really depends on most, on most people. I would say that some people that are taking no supplements usually probably need at least one, two, or three. And people that are taking 20 different supplements usually can scale that back to probably three, four, or five. <laughs> so usually we're either taking way too many or none at all. And it's usually somewhere in between. So a few of the supplements that I like people to take are, you know, fish oils. I do, I like omega-3s. Oftentimes I recommend a vitamin D. Oftentimes I recommend glutathione as an antioxidant, that master antioxidant. I'm a big antioxidant fan. I oftentimes recommend a probiotic, but it will be a specific strain specific to what that person's issue and needs are. Yeah. And then sometimes a multi and then sometimes magnesium depends, but those would be probably the supplements that I recommend most often. Ubiquinol also sometimes to people aging, people that are a little bit older. Yeah. Another thing that we really want to get your take on is counting calories and specifically macros in particular protein. We see a lot of people thinking they need to get a certain amount of protein. And the same with fiber. We see a lot of that people are counting how much fiber they should be taking. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I'm not a big counter. I always say like, leave math to like, you know, like high school, like, don't worry about it. Don't worry. We don't want to do that much math. Right. (laughs) But I'm not a calorie counter. I do not believe in calorie counting. I think um, there is to some extent you have to be aware of calories and how many calories are in certain foods. Like you have to have a general knowledge of it, but you don't need to count them. If you learn to eat these whole real foods, like I said, in proportion and listen to your body and eat consistently through the day, you're not going to have to worry about calorie counting. And it can actually sometimes work against you because you can think, oh, I'm allowed to have another 200 calories today and you're not even hungry. But then you say, oh, okay, I'm going to go have that Weight Watchers ice cream bar because I'm allowed to have another 150 calories or whatever it is. And so it's like, you really weren't even craving it. You didn't even need it. It's almost like telling your body to go get these extra nutrients in. It's like, you have to really get back to learning to listen to your body so that when you are having a true craving, go have a real ounce of dark chocolate when you're having a true craving and like your body actually needs it. And, or maybe your body's feeling hungrier one day and you actually need extra calories because you had a longer workout or you're fighting something or you're, for whatever reason, your body needs a little more fuel. You shouldn't deprive it. Maybe you actually need that extra serving of almonds. So for those reasons, I'm not a big fan of calorie counting. And then as far as protein goes, most people are getting enough protein. If you are educated on what protein is and where you're getting it, and you learn to get a little bit in every meal, for the most part, you're getting enough. Now, if you are a serious athlete and you really need to be tracking the exact amounts because you want, you have certain, you know, specific athleticals, perhaps in that case, I would have someone track that, but for the most part, not necessary. And then same goes with fiber. Many people don't get enough fiber in their diet, opposite of protein where many people do get enough. But when you learn what foods have fiber and you learn how to incorporate it into each meal, again, you don't need to then count it from there. Just don't need to worry about counting it. You will have a general sense of it. And if your body's working and you're going to the bathroom properly, like you're not going to, for the most part, again, you don't need to end up counting it. Yeah. That's our approach as well. I mean, I'm not a big fan of counting anything, no. you know, related to calories. It's no. more of a lifestyle approach. That's how we Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. 
Now, another area where people find a lot of confusion and maybe slip up a little bit is when they're out to eat mm-hmm. or on a date or at a party. So what tips do you like to give people if they're in that situation, but they still want to remain true to their lifestyle approach to nutrition? Well, I mean, I think it really depends on the situation. Like, is it a party where there are healthy options and you just don't want to go for those because you're really like, you know, you want to try that cheese puff instead of having the veggie platter? Like, what are the reasons behind it? Or is it that there are no healthy options? You have no choice, but you're starving. So you want to have a little bit of something, but you have something planned to have at home when you get home. So you know there's something healthy there to fill up on. You can just have a little something to hold you over. Like, it really would depend on, I would say, the the situation, but I guess that's the answer is like, think about the situation. Are you eating something because you're feeling peer pressure? Well, then I would say that's not a reason like you do you, right? (laughs) Or are you eating something because you're starving and there's no healthy options? Well, then find the healthiest option, have a little bit so you're not starving and then overdo it somewhere else, right? Later on, just enough to hold you over and then have, be prepared with something healthy, like whether it's at home or even in your bag, you have something for when you get into the cab to go home or whatever. So be prepared. Or if it's like that you want to indulge in it, then learn how to have a conscious indulgence. What is the thing there that like you really want to indulge in? Are you out to the special Italian restaurant and you love a certain type of pasta and it's on the menu? You know, so maybe order a half portion and a big order of, you know, vegetables. And so you have a big thing of vegetables and a small portion of pasta, but you enjoy it and you drink a lot of water and you don't let that turn into a eating three pieces of bread and having tiramisu because it's not an all or nothing attitude. So it really would depend on the situation. And I would teach people about that. Like, is it a conscious indulgence? Is it just because there's nothing else there? Like what's the reason behind it? And then learn how to pick the best option for the situation. Definitely. And that's kind of like an intuitive approach as well, like you mentioned earlier. Now we're slowly getting out of quarantine, which is great, but I know that for the period that a lot of people were at home, emotional eating and possibly binge eating was something that a lot of people struggled with or will continue to struggle with. So what are some tips you have for people who are kind of going through that emotional eating, binge eating cycle? Yeah. Well, usually with emotional eating, I talk a lot about triggers and controls. So if you are an emotional eater, you generally know like what triggers you, or you might not know off the top of your head, but if you think about it and you take the time to think about it, you can generally say like, oh, it's when I'm bored. It's when I'm sad. It's when I'm feeling this way. It's when I get off the phone with this person. Like, you know, you, you know, your triggers, right? So then I say, come up with a non-food control. Like what is a non-food control that you can do for this trigger? So let's say it's a trigger. You get off the phone with a certain person, they trigger you and it just, it always happens, right? It's a consistent pattern. So a non-food control might be a, you call this other person that makes you feel awesome. Or a non-food control might be a, it's sort of like just this, then you take a little break, you do a one minute meditation. Like it could just, could be that. I mean, it could be writing in a journal. It could be a lot of different things that could be your non-food control. Okay. Then let's say it's an eating situation though, right? And it's like dinner time. And so you get triggered at that time. I would say have a food control, which would be sort of your, let's say you're craving grilled cheese and you would normally order it from the diner with fries. Maybe it's, you know, you have ready. Okay. When I'm feeling like that, wanting to emotionally eat a grilled cheese, you have, you know, ready to go your two slices of sprouted grain bread with, you know, grass-fed cheddar cheese perhaps, or even like one slice of whatever cheese there and you make it open face and you put a tomato slice on it with maybe some sprouts if you have, you know, you make it the healthiest version possible, but you satisfy that craving. You don't deny yourself there. Anyway, so that would be another example of a food control. So uh, that's how, I mean, that for emotional eating, that's usually where I start. Sometimes go like we get deeper into the 
where's the emotion starting? Like, where do you get to? And I do like a whole little like roadmap thing with, with people, but that's sort of, that's the place I start. That sounds like a great approach because it's very approachable. It's not yeah. this like incredibly hard cycle that you have to go through of figuring it out, it's just eliminating mm-hmm. things that trigger you. Now, for somebody whose nutrition goals do involve losing a lot of weight, mm-hmm. um, which is not always the case, but let's say somebody has a lot of yeah. weight they want to lose for their health or aesthetic reasons, whatever that might be, how would the approach change lifestyle-wise? Well, I would say as far as like all the things we've already talked about and looking at whole foods and listening to your body, I would say I would still do all of those things with somebody who has a large amount of weight to lose. The difference would be, I mean, this could, by the way, whether you have five pounds to lose or 105 pounds, it really is more specific to the person how you need to approach implementing these changes. For some people, they need something that's very like meal plan specific, like they need to know what they're going to eat. They want to be completely prepared. And other people want to learn the principles behind things and they want to be able to choose though as they go. But what I would say is for someone that has a large amount of weight to lose, I usually prefer to two things. One, make a few changes immediately. And when they have a large amount of weight, if they stick to those couple things, it could be switching from soda to water, let's say, right? That one thing could lead to a 10 pound weight loss, again, on somebody that's really overdoing soda and has a large amount of weight to lose. So that might just be the first thing we do and like go slow from there. Or another situation, again, it's very specific to the person. That person might really be like ready for a complete diet overhaul and really want a very specific roadmap. And I would probably be a little bit more strict as far as like putting in exact sort of indulgences and the exact amount of, you know, X, Y, and Z to eat. So it really is a little bit, yeah, specific to the person. I like that individualized approach because we often see with a lot of different programs, it's kind of like the same thing, cookie cutter approach to everyone. And I don't think that the whole person, like you were saying at Nutritious Life's. Now I'd love to talk a little bit about, because we did talk about intuitive eating and understanding how our bodies feel. So what are some ways to tell if a certain food may not be agreeing with you? First of all, I think that the healthier you begin to eat, the more you're like in tune with what might be making you feel a certain way. So for example, if you're really unhealthy and you're drinking a lot of alcohol and you're eating a lot of packaged processed foods with all kinds of different unhealthy chemicals and you're eating late at night and you're not sleeping enough, like there could be so many different reasons. Why are you having headaches all the time? It could be a variety of reasons. Why do you feel bloated? It could be a variety of reasons. But the healthier you start to eat, the more in tune you are with like, you know, wait, I feel good. Oh, now, but now I'm having a headache from, maybe it was from this. And like, and you can food journal and start to track it, right? Is it a headache? Is it your skin breaking out? Is it bloating? Is it, you know, all these different things, right? Do you feel tired after certain things? But when you're so unhealthy, you don't even really know like how it feels to feel good and energetic, right? You're kind of walking around. Many people that eat unhealthy kind of walk around in this state of just like, not feeling right, kind of brain foggy and tired and like, but it's just their normal way of being that they don't even realize kind of how crappy they feel. But when you start to eat really healthy and you learn how it, you know, what it feels to feel good, then you can sort of start to tap into, oh, wow, that makes me feel bloated. That makes me feel just puffy. That makes, gives me a headache. Like you can start to get there once you sort of improve your overall habits. Definitely. It's something to be mindful of whenever we're eating and whenever we're 
consuming something. Now, you also have a program, Nutritious Life Studio, for people yeah. that want to accelerate and take their nutrition to the next level and actually become a coach and help others on their journey. Can you please talk a little bit about the program? So I started a few years ago. It was really to help empower other wellness professionals out there, whether you're a dietitian or you're somebody with no health background that wants to dive into the field of wellness. So we really cater to, you know, people on one end of the spectrum to the other and people get different things out of it. You know, if you're a dietitian, you're going to get, maybe you're going to focus more on the fact that there's this incredible community and support around you. And also you're going to benefit from all of the science that's being turned into consumer language so that you can then use that information to coach and train others. And then you might benefit from all the business information in there of how to start your wellness business. And then for other people that are, let's say, diving into the career, or maybe you're a trainer or a yoga instructor, or maybe you own a health food company and you want just a, a foundation, this is a great way to get the nutrition science foundation and also benefit from the business and education and the community. So it's a, we have two courses actually. We have level one and then we have our level two program. So it's either three months or nine months and it's, or you can do an accelerated program in six months. And if you are a dietitian, by the way, you also get continuing ed credits. So that's awesome for people that are dietitians out there. And yeah, you become nutritious life certified or nutritious life master certified if you do our level two program. And yeah, it's truly like my most favorite thing that I do in my career right now, because I love working with these incredible, passionate, smart, just diverse group of wellness pros. That sounds amazing. And it's nice that it's open to dietitians or anyone who's just interested in learning more about their bodies, nutrition, and even bringing that home to their families and you know, spreading that information that's actually research-based and it isn't just somewhere on social media. You know, Absolutely. And that's a huge part of it. Like we started the conversation today with there's so much misinformation out there. I really want to help people that are passionate about wellness, put out the best information possible so that we can all reach as many people as possible and help them raise their nutrition and help the world just be a healthier and happier place. Well, you seem to be really accomplished. You've had your business for over 18 years. You have two kids, I believe. So I'm curious to know if you have any advice that you would give to your 20-year-old self. Well, it's so funny, actually, because I was thinking about this this morning. <laughs> no, I'm serious. This is so funny because I was thinking, it's so funny, but I was actually texting with my ex-husband's wife and they have two children who are two, a boy and a girl like myself, who are two and three months or two and four months. Anyway, and I was, we were just texting something about the kids and I was thinking to myself, like some of the things I was telling her, we were just talking about, I was like, oh God, I wish some of these things I knew and my kids were this age. Like, I wish I was like thinking like this when I was that age, but like, you know, you learn them as you go. Right. So it was just funny, I guess. But one of the things was more, and it wasn't even that I was giving her this advice that she needed this. It just, I then just started thinking about it. I was like, I just like am so much more, I think like I'm just slowed down more. Like I feel like I almost do more now, but in a more slowed down way. I think when I was in my, maybe not 20, but in my 20s, I would say, so maybe that wasn't the question. I'm thinking 20. I just feel like I was a little more like frenetic of like, I need to do this and do that. And this, and even if like I knew certain healthy things to do, or I knew certain ways to do things, I just felt like I operated with more like frenetic energy as opposed to using energy in a more positive way. Or not that I didn't use it in a positive way at all, but it was more like, I don't know. I just feel like now I'm totally operate in this like slow down, 
to like move faster and do things better mode. Even if you're doing a lot, it's like the mindset of slowing down. Even if it doesn't look like I'm slowing down, (laughs) it's like the mindset of slowing down and being like calmer about everything. And I feel like that can be for business. It can be for personal. It can be for parenting. It can be for anything. Like it's just sort of that like slowing down, listening to yourself, like I don't so know. true. No, it's it's true because I mean, is that just like a total like? No, no, that was amazing because a lot of us are always in a rush, and it's true that sometimes when you do slow down and you're more mindful, you still do accomplish more in the day, and your day could be even more productive, even though you feel like you're approaching it in a slower, calmer way. Yeah, and you're just more like, and you're happier, and you're calmer, and you feel better, and just all decisions are done better. Yeah, like, you I enjoy feel- the process more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you just said that more eloquently than I did, but anyway, but I was, but I was seriously thinking about that this morning as I was texting and I'm like, God, I'm like, if I was sort of like had this all in my head where I'm at now, when my kids were littler and I was starting my business, I feel like I would have just been doing it all better, but that's just like, you know, mom guilt. That's life. You know, we learn as we go, right? But Mom, guilt, life. Exactly. We do. Exactly. That's it. I mean, I think everybody, exactly. If we had all that knowledge when we were uh, 20 that we have when we're 80, the world would probably be a much smoother place. For sure. For sure. And it's something I need to work on too, because I also sometimes feel rushed and slowing down sometimes could definitely help. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another question we like to ask, since this is a tea company, is that if you could sit down and have tea with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? So I would say my grandmother, my mom's mom, probably, because she passed away when I was 12. And she was like a really, she was like this combination of um, very strong, but also very sweet person. But really she had this like strength to her. And I think I didn't, because she passed away when I was 12. I mean, I remember lots of conversations with her, but there's so many conversations I didn't have with her. So I don't know. I, I think it would probably be her. I mean, and there's of course like a million different people you could say like, Oprah, I'd love in this one. But like, I don't know. I kind of think it would be, it would be her. And as a woman, I think it's nice to realize that you can still be sweet, but you can still be strong at the same time. Yeah. I love that. Now, for anyone who wants to reach you on social media or possibly work with you, what are some of the best places to contact you? Well, you can find us on social media at Nutritious Life Official or the Nutrition and the Nutritious Life Studio. And then you can check out our website, nutritiouslife.com, where you can also find out information about the Nutritious Life Studio there. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We both learned so much from our conversation and we're sure that our audience will benefit a lot from your wisdom as well. Well, you two are awesome. And I love that you're siblings. That's the best thing ever that you were. Thank you. I know we are very, very close. It's so cute. It's really amazing. It's so sweet. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us on our episode today with the amazing Carrie Glassman. Carrie shared some really valuable information with us on the importance of taking an all-around lifestyle approach to our nutrition and our wellness, as well as the importance of intuitive eating. We encourage everyone out there to check out Carrie's amazing books, as well as Nutritious Life and Nutritious Life Studio. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.